This hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. Uh, I'd like to welcome all of you here, uh, the, both the nominees and, and family members. Um, we've, uh, as we talked and been able to meet all of you in my office, thank you for, for coming by. As you know, I've long had an interest in, in Africa, uh, having spent some time there. And last week, uh, Ed and I presided over a hearing, a uh, subcommittee hearing, examining the economic policies or the, the promises uh, that uh, exist on the continent, particularly after the summit that we had, the Leaders' Summit last August. That was our, our first hearing in the Congress, and we'll have many more. But today, we're going to hear from nominees to Mali, South Sudan, and Somalia. And we'll look at some of uh, Sub-Saharan Africa's most serious challenges. Uh, also have the nominee for the Bahamas as well. I'm grateful that she's here. Uh, after seeing positive developments in 2013, Mali's security and governance climate uh, has continued to deteriorate. And despite international pressure, pressure and ongoing mediation efforts, the conflict of South Sudan has continued for over a year, costing more than 10,000 lives, displacing more than 2 million people, causing millions more to require humanitarian assistance. The administration's decision to nominate an ambassador in Somalia offers at least a glimmer of hope uh, for movement uh, on the security and governance front. I look forward to hearing more about the potential for progress as well as the hurdles that exist uh, when we establish a presence in, in Mogadishu. We're also considering a nominee, as I mentioned, for the Bahamas. It's an important uh, uh, regional neighbor, and uh, I look forward to thoughts on economic progress and partnership with us uh, here. I thank you all for your time and for your expertise. Look forward to your testimony. With that, uh, recognize Senator Markey. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, so much. And I very much appreciate you holding this very important hearing. Um, three of the nominees that we're going to be um, talking about into today and hoping to be confirmed as U.S. ambassadors are looking at three of the most challenging countries in sub-Saharan government, um, Mali, South Sudan, and Somalia. The fourth is seeking confirmation to the Bahamas, a place that most likely conjures up thoughts of vacation, but in truth, it is a critical country on the United States' third border in the Caribbean, and all four of our nominees have distinguished records of public service that will continue as U.S. ambassadors when they are confirmed, and I thank you, Mr. Chairman, for uh, having this hearing. Thank you, Senator Markey. Our first nominee is uh, Paul Folmsby. Mr. Folmsby is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service. He currently serves as Executive Director of the State Department's Bureau of African Affairs. Previously, Mr. Folmsby served as a member uh, in a number of challenging assignments, including a civ uh, Senior Civilian Representative for the Regional Command East, Afghanistan, Principal Officer at the U.S. Consulate in Mumbai, India, uh, the Provincial Reconstruction Team Leader in Baghdad, and the Director of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement uh, uh, Affairs at our embassy in Pakistan. Mr. Folmsby has also served in a number of Africa assignments, including Gabon, Tanzania, Kenya. Mr. Folmsby earned a BA in uh, Political Science from Tabor College in Hillsborough, Kansas, and an MA in Social Anthropology from the University of Oklahoma in North Norman, Oklahoma. Our second nominee is uh, Mary Catherine Fee. Ms. Fee is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service, currently serves as Chief of Staff uh, in Office uh, of the Special Envoy for Sudan and South Sudan. From 2011-2014, Ms. Fee served as Deputy Chief of Staff in Ethiopia 
She was previously director for Iraq at the National Security Council, the regional affairs coordinator at the U.S. Embassy in Rome, and counselor for political uh, affairs at the U.S. Mission at the U.N. in New York. Ms. Fee has held multiple positions focusing on Iraq and other countries in the Middle East. And uh, before joining the Foreign Service, Ms. Fee also worked at, the de at uh, Development Alternatives, uh, Bethesda, Maryland Company, and as uh, Deputy Press Secretary for Senator Patro, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Ms. Fee earned a BA at Indiana University and a master's degree from the Fletcher School at Law of Law and Diplomacy. Our third nominee is Cassandra Butts. Ms. Butts is currently a senior advisor to the CEO at the Millennium Challenge Corporation. Previously, she served at the White House as deputy counsel to the president, uh, general counsel uh, the office of the president-elect, and general counsel for the Obama transition project. Prior to these nominations, Ms. Butts uh, was the senior vice president for domestic policy at the Center for American Progress and counsel and policy director for Representative Richard Gephardt uh, in the United States Repres House of Representatives. Uh, she earned a BA from the University of uh, South Car North Carolina at Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and a G JD from Harvard Law School. And our fourth nominee is uh, Catherine Simons Denali. Ms. Denali is a career foreign service officer and currently serves as director of the Office of Regional and Security Affairs in the, in the uh, State Department's Bureau of African Affairs. Previously, Ms. Denali served as Consul General at the U.S. Consulate in India. She has held num numerous assignments in Africa, including Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Harare, Zimbabwe, and at the U.S. Uh, Embassy in uh, Gabon. Prior to Gabon, she was Political and uh, Economic Section Chief at the U.S. Embassy in Zambia and Economic Section Chief at the, uh, in the DRC. Uh, Ms. Denali earned a BA from Kenyon College in Gambier, Ohio, and an MA from, the, uh, from MIT. So thank you all for being here. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and viewpoints. I'm sure you'll want to introduce family members as well, and we appreciate them and for the sacrifice uh, that they make as well as, as you serve. Uh, we'd appreciate it if you could keep your, uh, your testimony for about five minutes, and then we can have time for questions to be asked. So we'll recognize uh, Mr. Fulmsby first, and thank you again for being here. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ranking Member Markey, and, and uh, distinguished members of the committee. I'm honored to come before you as President Obama's nominee to be the next uh, United States Ambassador to Mali. I deeply appreciate the confidence and trust that the President and Secretary of State have shown in nominating me for this position. Um, I'm supported here today by my friends and colleagues from the State Department's Bureau of African Affairs, and as well as my friends from USAID. In fact, uh, my uh, former PRT leader, Deputy Leader from Baghdad is actually sitting behind me, Jeff Bakken, so he's a good, good man. Um, my wife, uh, Angie Chin, is also a U.S. diplomat and is probably watching us from Bangkok, Thailand right about now. Uh, unfortunately, she could not be here today. Um, my career in the Foreign Service began in 1987 and has led me to assignments all over the world. Uh, the bulk of my assignments uh, have been in developing countries including Kenya, Haiti, Gabon, and Tanzania. In Iraq in 2007, I embedded with the 2nd 82nd Airborne and ran a provincial reconstruction team in Sadr City and Atamiya in downtown Baghdad. In Afghanistan in 2011, I embedded with the 1st Cavalry as a senior civilian rep for Regional Command East, 
where we worked on expanding governance and economic development programs. If confirmed, I would draw upon these experiences and many others to deepen U.S.-Mali ties as we continue to work towards our mutual goals of combating extremism, strengthening democratic governance, and fostering inclusive economic growth. Mali continues to emerge from the most serious security, political, and development crisis it has faced since independence. It is rebuilding its social, economic, and governance institutions following the March 2012 coup d'etat and subsequent takeover of parts of northern Mali by extremists. Poverty both exacerbates Mali's conflicts and underscores its capacity challenges. Mali is ranked 176th of the 187 nations in the United Nations 2014 Human Development Index. In addition, the recent coup and the events that followed revealed the fragility of Mali's government institutions. Despite these challenges, Mali peacefully elected a president and national assembly in 2013. The new government has made national reconciliation a top priority and donors are now engaging with the country. It is within this context the U.S. engagement will be critical as we foster democratic values, promote good governance, and engender peace and security. U.S. assistance programs will continue to increase access to education and health services, improve nutrition and sanitation, strengthen Malian food security, and facilitate inclusive economic growth. One of the key strategies for deepening economic growth is expanding the resiliency of poor communities so they will not be vulnerable to the shocks of extreme weather and conflict. Security and stability remain a major challenge. The United Nations Multidimensional Integrated Stabilization Mission, which is quite a mouthful, we call it MINUSMA, was established by the Security Council Resolution 2100 in April of 2013 to support the stabilization of the country and to carry out a number of security-related tasks. Our government continues to fully support that effort by providing training, equipment, and intelligence. The success of this mission is critical to the long-term stability of the country. Another key objective is to aid in the reformation of the Malian security sector by supporting institutions that can manage internal and external security threats, contribute to national and regional stability, while adhering to civilian authority and respect international law and human rights norms. While there are a number of areas in the security sector that require investment, the near to medium term priority for U.S. assistance are those activities that will refine the national strategy, repair civilian military relations, improve access to justice in the North, and encourage the legislature and civil society stakeholders to hold security uh, services accountable. The government has engaged in internationally supported efforts to advance peace talks with the northern armed groups. These talks are ongoing and their positive outcome is far from ensured. The U.S. government will continue to participate in these negotiations as an observer and will also continue to look for opportunities to support a balanced and peaceful way forward. The outbreak of the Ebola virus in West Africa and the threat it represented to Mali punctuated the need for urgent cooperation on health matters. Early containment of the outbreak was a major priority for both the government of Mali, international partners, and the United States. Fortunately, the threat was successfully contained, 
aided in part by direct U.S. assistance from the State Department, the National Institutes of Health, CDC, and USAID. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, if confirmed, I will look to you for counsel and support to ensure that our bilateral relationship remains firmly rooted in our shared vision of a democratic and prosperous Mali. Thank you for inviting me to appear before you today. I would ple be pleased to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Ms. Fee. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Markey, distinguished members of the committee. I am honored to appear before you today as the President's nominee to be the United States Ambassador to the Republic of South Sudan. I would like to thank President Obama and Secretary Kerry for the confidence they have placed in me. If confirmed, I will look forward to working with this committee. I would also like to thank my family, friends, and colleagues who have generously shared encouragement, support, and laughter throughout my career. I could not undertake these challenges without them, and I'd like to spe draw special attention to my sister Amy, who is here today. I am deeply proud of the opportunity to serve our nation and to apply my experience in tough situations to advance American interests and values. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I know you and the members of the committee share in the profound disappointment many of us, ex of us experienced in December 2013 when the political process in South Sudan broke down and the country's leaders resorted to violence to resolve their disputes. And as you noted, this has resulted in a significant loss of life and nearly two million people have been displaced inside and outside of South Sudan. More than four million people now need emergency humanitarian assistance and the country's fledgling economy is at a standstill. Our disappointment is rooted in the special relationship that we in the United States, including Congress, successive administrations, and the American people, forged with the people of South Sudan during their long civil wars and struggle for self-determination. We had high hopes that the 2005 Comprehensive Peace Agreement, which led to independence in 2011, offered a permanent end to war. But we were not blind to the challenges of overcoming decades of inadequate government, security, and development, and with our international partners, sought to avert a breakdown of the fragile political order. Then and now, our core interests remain strengthening this young democratic state and promoting internal stability and regional peace. In collaboration with our Troika partners, which are the United Kingdom and Norway, we are backing negotiations to convince President Salva Kiir and former Vice President Riyak Mashar to commit to a durable ceasefire and to agree to a transitional government of national unity. The negotiating effort has been led by the group of countries neighboring South Sudan, known as the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, or more easily, EGAD. To the frustration of all, to date, the parties have resisted compromise. The current EGAD chairman, Ethiopian Prime Minister Haile Miriam Dessalen, announced March 6th that he would reform the peace process to formally include the African Union, the Troika, the United Nations, the EU, and China. We support this approach. To be sustainable, we believe the final peace agreement must respect the desire of the people of South Sudan for justice and accountability, as well as reconciliation and healing. We have called for the prompt release of the official report from the African Union's Commission of Inquiry, which was charged with investigating human rights violations and other abuses during the armed conflict. To advance the peace process, the UN Security Council on March 3rd unanimously adopted a resolution we introduced that established a targeted sanctions regime and proposed an arms embargo 
that could be imposed should the South Sudanese leaders fail to respond to the mediation. To address the humanitarian impact, we have provided more than $994 million in emergency humanitarian assistance, including help for internally displaced persons and refugees in neighboring countries. This assistance has helped stave off famine and provided life-saving services such as water, sanitation, and health care. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I will work with the leaders and the people of South Sudan to help end the conflict and begin the rebuilding. I will provide vigorous support to the ongoing effort to improve the humanitarian situation. Through our partnership, we can help South Sudan begin to recover from this devastating setback and regain the opportunities present at independence. Finally, Mr. Chairman, I assure you that, if confirmed, I will be proud to carry on the diplomatic tradition of ensuring the safety and security of American citizens abroad while focusing on the welfare of the American and South Sudanese staff of Embassy Juba. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Markey, I thank you for the honor to appear before you today, and I welcome your questions. Thank you. Ms. Butts. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Ranking Member, um, I, am, I, I appreciate the opportunity to appear before you today as President Obama's nominee to be our next ambassador to the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. I am profoundly grateful for the honor uh, the President has bestowed upon me and for the confidence shown in me by Secretary Kerry as I look to assume this new assignment, if confirmed. Uh, I'd like to take the opportunity to introduce my sister, Deidre Abbott, who's here today representing my family. My family has been a wellspring of support for me, and I would not be here today but for their support, their love, and their belief in me. I believe my experience as a lawyer and a policy advisor and my service to my country in the executive and legislative branches have well prepared me to be for the duties of ambassador to the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. Having worked on some of the major legal policy issues of our time, including my most recent experience in international development at the Millennium Challenge Corporation, I have always sought solutions consistent with the values of our great nation. I understand that leading with our values is a basis for finding lasting policy solutions and building strong partnerships at home and abroad. If the Senate confirms me, I would bring those experiences grounded in my strong belief in equality, justice, and compassion to the post of the ambassador to the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. Through close political and economic and cultural ties, the United States and the Bahamas have forged a strong bilateral relationship that has served both countries quite well. Bahamians regularly travel to the United States to visit friends and family and to conduct business, and approximately six million U.S. citizens travel to the Bahamas annually. The proximity of the Bahamas to the United States inextricably links our country's national security. Together, we are confronting shared challenges, such as illicit trafficking, including narcotics, arms, and people, as well as bolstering the rule of law. If confirmed, my first and foremost priority will be to ensure the safety and security of U.S. citizens living in or visiting the Bahamas, as well as the Turks and Caicos Islands, which are included among uh, Embassy Nassau's consular oversight. I will work closely with the Bahamians' authorities community groups and the entire U.S. mission, including the U.S. law enforcement officials under Chief of Mission Authority, to promote innovative, effective, and whole-of-government-based efforts to reduce crime rates and other illegal activities. I will also continue to promote greater economic ties and growth, including exploring ways to make the Bahamas a more attractive place in which to invest and do business through the development and enforcement of stable and transparent regulations 
as well as procurement and investment procedures. If confirmed, I will work to assist the Bahamas in protecting and preserving future for future generations the incredible natural beauty that makes it the vacation destination of choice for so many people, including by expanding marine protected areas. As part, of the, as part of the same effort, I will encourage the Bahamas to adopt cleaner technologies and build strong and resilient energy markets, which will not only provide a more secure and sustainable clean energy future and economic growth, but also limit the effects of greenhouse gas emissions. I also will make working with our Bahamian partners in, on human rights issues a priority by seeking to further gender equality to expand opportunities for disenfranchised youth and to encourage Bahamian officials to adopt fair, humane, and transparent practices related to irregular migrants, including improved access to refugee status determinations. Expanding educational exchanges is one of the best ways to deepen the already existing cultural and historic ties between the United States and the Bahamas. At present, approximately 1,700 students from the Bahamas study in the United States and more than 750 students from the United States study in the Bahamas. If confirmed, I will seek to increase levels of educational exchange between our two countries, including through enhancing existing partnerships and building new ones. While geography and history have forged strong bonds between our countries, the Bahamas also maintains close economic ties with many other nations. As the world economy continues to rebound, the Bahamas' key tourism and hospitality sectors have seen, increase, have seen increases in Asian investment. We do not see foreign economic and commercial links to the Bahamas as a threat to U.S. interests. We strongly believe that the American companies can successfully compete with anybody in the world when transparent regulations and practices steadfast and with steadfast respect for the rule of law prevail. The United States has not had an ambassador in Nassau for over four years, but we have strong leadership and staff at the U.S. Embassy of the Bahamas in continuing the important work of the mission. Still, the value of having a confirmed U.S. ambassador to advance U.S. interests cannot be overstated. If confirmed, I will strive to further the good work of our Nassau mission and strengthen the close and productive bilateral relationship. In closing, I'm confident that I have the experience and imagination and the energy to lead our bilateral relationship with the people of the government of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. Uh, I thank you again, Mr. Chairman and Mr. Ranking Member Markey, and I look forward to answering any questions you may have. Thank you. Ms. Denali. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Markey, I'm honored to appear before you today to be considered for the position of United States Ambassador to the Federal Republic of Somalia. I'm deeply grateful to President Obama and Secretary Kerry for the confidence in me they've shown with this nomination. If confirmed, I pledge to work with you to advance our interests by promoting a unified and peaceful Somalia with a stable and representative government that can defend its territory, foster economic development, and defend human rights. Mr. Chairman, please allow me at this time to introduce my husband, Azim Danani. His support has meant everything to me as he accompanied me to assignments around the globe. And if confirmed, I will continue to rely on him as I take up my new responsibilities. This is a critical time in our engagement with Somalia. Decades of conflict, famine, and oppression led many to label Somalia a failed state. Today, Somalis are proving those pessimists wrong. There's progress in Somalia, measured but real progress, on security, on economic development, and on the establishment of representative government. Just over two years ago, 
the United States officially recognized the federal government of Somalia. Since that time, we have been working closely with the Somalis as they rebuild their state and lay a foundation for the future. The decision to nominate the first U.S. ambassador to Somalia in over two decades was taken in recognition of our deepening relationship and our conviction that Somalia is on a path that will bring better times. Establishment of a permanent diplomatic presence in Mogadishu will represent the culmination of this recognition process, but there is no fixed timeline for achieving this objective. If confirmed, I will carefully monitor the security environment in Somalia as I seek to advance our diplomatic objectives with no higher priority than my responsibility for the security of personnel under my charge. U.S. interests in Somalia are clear. Just as the collapse of Somalia was a strain on the region, stability, prosperity, and peace in Somalia will bolster positive trends in economic and democratic development in Africa. Violent extremists exploited the past failure of governance in Somalia to our and Somali's detriment. We have a strong humanitarian interest in easing the suffering of two million refugees and internally displaced persons, in reducing the food insecurity that leaves Somalia vulnerable to famine, and in addressing the failures that place Somalia at the bottom of the list on so many human development indicators. If confirmed, I will keep these U.S. interests firmly in mind as I lead U.S. engagement with the Somali government, the Somali people, and the international partners who share our commitment to seeing Somalia succeed. Mr. Chairman, in my written statement, I outline the U.S. strategy on Somalia, which was submitted to Congress last summer. In the interests of time, I will not repeat that, but in sum, U.S. policy revolves around three elements, security, the political process, and development. Gains in each reinforce and must keep pace with the others. Mr. Chairman, Somalia is moving in the right direction, but more progress is needed. Somali leaders must pull together to build their institutions, protect their citizens, and unite their country. Somalia's neighbors and friends must assist in that effort. I can assure you today that if confirmed, it will be my honor to restore U.S. Mission Somalia, advance U.S. interests, and strengthen our relationship with Somalia, and I look forward to the opportunity to work with the committee to achieve those goals. I also look forward to answering any questions you may have. Thank you, Ms. Danani. I want to apologize. I put an L in your name here at the beginning. So, uh, well, thank you for your testimony, all of you, and thank you again to the family members that are here and, and watching from afar as well. Um, Mr. Folmsby, with regard to, uh, to Mali, what is the biggest U.S. commercial interest that we have there? You know, Senator, to be honest with you, the uh, Mali is fighting for last place in a human index factor put out by the United Nations. Its, its economy is, is um, at a low point after the 2012 coup. And so uh, it's, it's very modest. Any, any kind of economic development uh, issue that we be, I'm sure we could dig up uh, some U.S. sales and that sort of thing, but it's going to be very limited. In reality, it's going to be development assistance uh, at this point. So commercial development, not for a while, mostly development. If, if we can uh, hook some U.S. companies out there, I promise you I will, I will personally get on it. Well, uh, and get, help, help get them out there. It's a good place to start in that regard. So, Absolutely. Well, great. Ms. Fee, uh, just uh, yesterday it was reported that the 
uh, legislature or the lawmakers in South Sudan voted to extend the president's term uh, for another three years. Um, I, I, I guess they're trying to confer legitimacy where they can. Uh, what, uh, what role is uh, President Kier playing at present in your view? What, uh, um, what can he do uh, to, to help the situation at this point? Thank you, Senator. We believe the best approach remains a peace agreement, a peace agreement that would end the conflict and establish a transitional government of national unity. And one of the key tasks of that transitional government would be to hold elections, permanent elections, and that would be the best way to renew legitimacy. Um, the President's Special Envoy, um, Ambassador Donald Booth, was in Juba yesterday meeting with President Kier to continue to push him uh, to make the compromises necessary to uh, reach that peace agreement. We've got a long way to go, though. It's safe yes. to assume. It, it, it is a challenging uh, task ahead of all of us. Um, one good uh, sign is the fact that so many are unified in wanting to see an end to this conflict. Uh, the neighbors, the African Union, the United Nations, China is supporting us in this effort. So hopefully, if we continue to speak with a collective voice, uh, we will be able to make an impact. And in that regard, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to thank uh, the Congress for its efforts, its statements, its meetings, its calls uh, have helped reinforce that message to the South Sudanese leaders that it's time to make compromise. Mm -hmm. um, the countries in the region are playing a role through the regional organization, but Uganda's kind of played an outsized role uh, there. Is that uh, been negative or positive or both? I know there have been some issues with some of the troops. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, uh, EGAD has had a tough time, but I think it's important to recognize that any peace agreement that is reached will need the support of its neighbors uh, to be fully effective. So we continue to engage with them, uh, to work closely with them, to try and help them sh uh, reach the shared goal that we all have of seeing an end to the conflict. You mentioned one of your roles, as it is for every ambassador to uh, protect U.S. citizens who happen to be traveling there. Uh, to what extent do we have uh, U.S. citizens? You, I'm assuming it's uh, mostly those in the Sudanese diaspora. Um, and what kind of uh, visits are they on right now? I mean, is there, is there, are there many visits going on? Uh, thank, thank you, Mr. Chairman, for raising that point. Um, the State Department last issued a travel warning for South Sudan advising American citizens not to travel there because of the current conflict. We did that in January of this year. And so you're absolutely correct. The um, primary uh, set of visitors from the United States are members of the diaspora um, who, like us, care very deeply uh, about the situation and are, are trying to uh, support a resolution, a positive resolution. Thank you. Ms. Butts, uh, when we spoke in my office, you were talking about the pretty robust presence that we have there, uh, given the, our, our uh, interest in all the travel, 6,000 visits a year. Can you describe you know, how many State Department employees, uh, roughly, and how many uh, folks from uh, Customs and, and, uh, and other agencies of government there are there? Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, the, the, Nassau is, is, is distinct as a post in that there are actually fewer State Department employees in Nassau 
than there are Homeland Security employees. Actually, there's more of a Homeland Security presence there from Customs and Border Protection and uh, a lot of the work that we do around immigration and uh, in trying to deter irregular migration. There's a significant Coast Guard presence uh, in Nassau. Uh, so in total, we've got a little over, uh, a little over 200 uh, uh, staff uh, with about 20 plus on the State Department side and about 70 for Homeland Security and then other agencies um, are also included. We've got a few from DOJ. We, of course, have got a military attache at post. Uh, but it, it, and, and as you appreciate, it's an archipelago. So there are a number of islands and um, unlike, and, and, and so in Freeport, for example, uh, there is a, a significant customs and border protection uh, presence uh, because of pre-clearance for, for flights that go between the U.S. and between the Bahamas. Uh, so it is, a, it, is a, it is a distinct post in both the size and the uh, composition of the staff at post. A lot of your function will be coordinating, that I assume. It, it, it will, and, and that's actually one of the challenges of the post. Uh, and, and things have been working very well. Uh, the charge there, Lisa Johnson, is actually with us today and has done a great job uh, waiting for a, an, an ambassador. Uh, but the coordination is a significant part. Fortunately, uh, we work, the, the, the agencies work very well together, and we have a very, very robust um, coordinated effort on um, in, in dealing with illicit trafficking uh, and dealing with irregular migration. Right. Well, thank you. Uh, Ms. Danani, uh, can you describe the security situation currently uh, in country? Uh, uh, my understanding is that you won't be stationed in the country uh, initially. You'll operate from Nairobi. We have a secured facility at the airport, I guess. Uh, can you kind of describe the challenges that we have there and what the timetable might be uh, for you to actually be uh, in country um, for, for more than a few days at a time, I should say. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, uh, you've uh, identified one of the major issues that will be preoccupying me. Um, I go to Nairobi uh, with uh, a mission of reestablishing a permanent diplomatic presence in Mogadishu, but that will depend on improvements in the security um, circumstances on the ground. Um, we have for adopted a policy that involves uh, continual monitoring of the security environment and phased re-engagement. The phase that we currently um, stand at allows us to have um, members of the U.S. government team enter Mogadishu for periods up to two weeks, to stay for periods as long as two weeks, um, but not uh, and, but we can only have a limited presence in Mogadishu at any given time. And at the moment, our assessment of the security situation doesn't permit us to move beyond the airport. And clearly, um, we need to see improvement in the security situation that will allow us to have greater access to all of Mogadishu, uh, uh, as well as have greater numbers of people on the ground at the airport. So uh, as I, um, it, it's, it's, there are limitations today. but but. It's an enormously improved situation to what it was as little as two years ago. Mm -hmm. During the last year, the team at in the Somalia unit uh, and the U.S. government employees made 161 trips into Somalia. They visited Mogadishu. They visited many of the regional capitals. Um, they've really had an opportunity to substantially expand their engagement. And as I am there, I will uh, be engaged in constant risk uh, 
uh, monitoring, risk mitigation, and risk management as we seek to um, take advantage of improved security to move further and engage further in the uh, pursuit of the objectives that we have uh, in Somalia. Right. A little more complicated than finding a real estate agent and looking for a residence, uh, I assume. So, well, thank you, Mr. Markey. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, very much. Um, Ms. Fee, could you, uh, could you talk about a year later after the United States has announced sanctions against South Sudan in terms of the cooperation we're getting from the EU in um, ensuring the effectiveness uh, of our policy? Thank you very much uh, for that question. Um, the resolution that was adopted uh, earlier this month in the Security Council was a unanimous resolution um, that established a framework to impose uh, international targeted sanctions. That unanimous resolution follows individual steps by the United States, where we have the President has used its executive authority, as well as action by the EU to impose EU uh, targeted sanctions. Um, so we're now ready to use the forum in the Security Council um, as a tool to support the peace negotiations. So I think in sum, I would characterize the EU posture as complementary to our own and uh, adding to the collective pressure uh, to reach an end to the conflict. Um, Ms. Danani, um, how would you characterize al-Shabaab's relationship with uh, al-Qaeda in all of its manifestations? And uh, how would you describe al-Shabaab's ability to recruit outside of its region to further uh, destabilize the area? Um, Senator Markey, um, al-Shabaab has formally affiliated with al-Qaeda. So when we uh, engage or, or consider engagement regarding al-Shabaab, we treat al-Shabaab as we would al-Qaeda. Um, a very worrying uh, aspect of the crisis in Somalia in recent years has been the effect that it's had on Somalia's neighbors. Um, certainly in Kenya, in the Westgate Mall attack last year, um, but also throughout the region, in Uganda, in Djibouti, and elsewhere, there have been um, uh, incidents, there have been uh, attacks, some successful, some unsuccessful, that have their roots in al-Shabaab. And it's for that reason that Somalia's neighbors have formed the bulk of the force that's seeking to, uh, that we're supporting as they seek to reverse the gains of al-Shabaab. What is al-Shabaab's largest source of revenue today? Uh, my understanding, sir, Mr. Uh, uh, Ranking Member Markey, is that Al-Shabaab continues to uh, rely on charcoal trade, uh, taxes that they uh, uh, achieve through the charcoal trade, and also sort of extortion. They no longer control cities, they no longer control large areas, but they are present in various places in the country. Their resources are much uh, more limited than they were when they controlled a large part of the country, but they still have access uh, in a number of places. Okay, thank you. Um, Mr. Fulmsby, can you talk a little bit about the French presence in Mali, its military there, what role it's playing, what success it's enjoying or not enjoying, and uh, uh, just give us a little bit of an overview of the French role right now in that country. Well, thank you for that question, Senator. Uh, the French role has been critical. Uh, the uh, French uh, went into Mali in 2013 and uh, drove uh, al-Qaeda out of the northern areas. And uh, we have heavily supported that activity. 
uh, in mostly in logistics, uh, but uh, the French have done a lot of good work there. Uh, also, uh, with uh, training and setting up Manusma, uh, they have uh, also played a key role, although they're also assisting directly with the Malian army as well, uh, where there have been some difficulties. So uh, they've, they've played a very key role. What, what, a, what is it going to take to get the rebels to agree to a peace deal, in your opinion? Uh, well, that's, that's, that's a good question. I, you know, I think the fundamental issue is going to come down to the government uh, and uh, the northern groups, uh, led in part by MNLA, to agree to some terminologies relating to, to the devolution of authority and power. And uh, I don't know, I, I don't know if I see the end of that just yet, but I'm hopeful that we'll get there. And so I think we can hope that that will come. So. Okay, great, thank you. Um, Ms. Butts, who I've known for 20 years, uh, can you talk a little bit about the immigration policy in the Bahamas and the questions that are being raised about the barriers that are being erected to being able to gain citizenship and uh, not living in a stateless um, status? Could you give your overview of what that situation looks like today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ranking Member Markey. Uh, there is, uh, we work in a coordinated effort with the Bahamians uh, to, uh, to patrol uh, both uh, sea and uh, surface patrols uh, to deter irregular migration in the region, but also to interdict regular migration when we have the opportunity to do so. It is my understanding that migrants coming through the area are principally Haitian and Cuban migrants uh, who stop off in the Bahamas uh, and, and are ultimately want to make their way to the U.S. Uh, if, if I am confirmed, one of the things that I will urge the, uh, the Bahamian government is to, uh, to ensure that they are following international standards and how they're managing irregular migration with the support of the U.S. as we have supported them in the past. There are significant uh, uh, pockets of migrants in the Bahamas. Uh, there's a large uh, Bahamian-Haitian uh, community in the Bahamas. Uh, as, as you are probably aware, uh, Senator Markey, there has been a change in the policy of the Bahamian government. Uh, it actually went into effect in November of 2014 that now requires that uh, uh, migrants who are in the country actually have passports of uh, their countries of nationality, and they also have documentation that they can legally be in the Bahamas. Uh, there have been concerns that have been raised by the Bahamian uh, Haitian community and by human rights advocates that the, uh, the implementation of the policy has unfairly targeted Haitian communities. Uh, and that the, the Haitians or that the detainees who are being detained as a result of the policy in the detention facility are not being treated to international standards. Uh, I will certainly urge while I'm there, uh, if I'm confirmed, uh, that, uh, that the Bahamians follow international standards and how they're implementing uh, their immigration policy and also uh, how they're maintaining the detention facilities. Uh, as, as you are aware, Senator Markey, I've worked for a number of years on issues related to migration. Uh, these are things that I care about, I understand, and I look forward to having the opportunity if confirmed to engage on the issue. I'm very confident, although, that the, the Bahamians uh, have robust democratic institutions and they will be able to address these concerns with the help of the U.S. government and also the international community, and I look forward to engaging. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you.
Um, we'll do one more round, if that's all right. Uh, Mr. Folmsby, uh, do we know who was responsible for the latest attacks on uh, MINUSMA forces? Uh, in the north, uh, yes, I, I believe the, uh, there is very good intel on that. Uh, I don't know if this open session, uh, if it's out in the public yet, but there is, there is good intel on that. There was also attacks uh, uh, in uh, Bamako and uh, El Murabatun uh, actually uh, has claimed responsibility for those attacks. Do we know what's leading to this increase in, in attacks? Well, it's Any very ideas? clear that uh, the, uh, some of the Tuareg extremist groups are looking to put pressure on the government as it relates to peace, peace talks. I think there's little, little doubt about that. Um, so, but I also think that uh, they will be thwarted. I, th I think there's a lot of uh, pressure back against them. As far as the U.S. government is concerned, do we have the right mix of civilian and military tools uh, for you in uh you know, I, I think we do, although I will also say, if confirmed, I, I'm certainly going to be looking at that, because that, that's, that's a fair question. But the key issue is going to ultimately be what is the, the north, the, the opportunity for the government is really to make inroads to the north. There has to be paved roads up there, there has to be jobs up there, there has to be hospitals up there. And, and so if, if the government doesn't, doesn't swing around with that, uh, our actions won't matter that much. So we've got to make sure the government takes that on. Right. So. Thank you. Ms. Fee, uh, you mentioned in your testimony uh, UN Security Council uh, March 3 resolution would establish uh, or established a targeted uh, sanctions regime, uh, even proposed an arms embargo that could be imposed uh, should these South Sudanese officials uh, uh, not respond to mediation. Uh, what effect do you believe that that would have, uh, particularly the arms embargo that's talked about? Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, the objective of the resolution was to send a, a sort of an unequivocal signal to the parties that they were at a crossroads, uh, that it is really time, this is, conflict has gone on too long, the, the humanitarian consequences are devastating, and, and it's time to reach an end and find a way forward. Um, so it was an effort to provide the negotiators uh, with a tool uh, to uh, convince um, both sides that there's no uh, uh, self-interest in, in, in sustaining the conflict. So that's the, that's the objective of the resolution. It's tied very closely uh, to the progress of the negotiations, um, particularly, as I mentioned, uh, this new uh, effort by EGAD to reformulate the, um, the, the uh, negotiating process and, frankly, to provide a more direct role for outsiders such as ourselves uh, to be engaged and hopefully bring this over the finish line. Right. Well, thank you, Ms. Butts. Um, we have uh, a cooperation uh, with the government uh, with regard to drug interdiction with yes, the Bahamian government. Can that be improved, or they, is that uh, considered good? Uh, what, how would you characterize it? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We've made tremendous progress in that area. Uh, as, as you are aware, uh, during the 80s, there was very robust trafficking uh, lane through the Bahamas. Uh, and at that point in the 80s, about 80% of the cocaine that came to the U.S. actually came through the Bahamas. Uh, but since then, we've actually established a very robust partnership uh, that is focused on uh, the OPBAT, uh, our OPBAT task force. And uh, it, as recently as 2011, actually 10% of 
uh, the cocaine coming to the U.S. actually came through the Bahamas. And so we've had tremendous success in that regard. Uh, unfortunately, over the past couple of years, Mr. Chairman, we've seen a bit of an uptick uh, in what was 10% in 2011 mm -hmm. has now become about 14%. And so we're, we're doing well. We can certainly do better. We could certainly use additional resources uh, to, 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 to fight uh, it, it, irregular or illicit narcotics coming through, but we have a very strong partnership with the Bahamians on that, on, on that, uh, on that area. Right. Ms. Danani, um, what do you think the prospects are for the elections that are scheduled to be held next year? And given very complicated arrangement uh, with the uh, government appointed, um, as opposed to elected, uh, how, how credible will that be seen around the country um, if these elections are actually held? Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I think you've touched on an extremely important uh, factor. We need uh, a government of Somalia that is a representative government, mm -hmm. that, uh, that the people feel um, is answerable to them and that is representative to all the regions of the country in order to have stability going forward. Um, the existing federal government of Somalia was uh, selected, elders selected the parliament and the parliament uh, nominated the president. Um, so, and there is a degree of representativity, but not uh, to the extent that we require. That government, however, has uh, defined and outlined a detailed roadmap towards representative government. Vision 2016 is, is the name of this, uh, this roadmap. And it's a roadmap that we and the rest of the international community are supporting. Um, it includes a number of steps that, uh, on which the, gov the, the, the deadlines have already been missed, quite frankly. Um, and we are currently focused on urging the Somalis to make progress towards restoring that schedule, um, making progress towards establishing a constitution. Creating a federal system is a very complicated task. When we think of what our founding fathers achieved uh, and the stability of the United States, it's, it's quite remarkable. And this is the challenge that faces Somalis today. And uh, we are supporting the vision that they've outlined. Uh, and we are urging, uh, along with our friends and throughout the international community, that they, they stick to this plan that they've defined for themselves. Thank you. Mr. Markey. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, e each of you is extremely well qualified. Your life's work has prepared you for the jobs which you are being nominated to um, take on for our country. What I'd like you to perhaps give us is, in each one of your own words, um, your hopes for what you'll be remembered for in your ambassadorship. What achievement you want to have left behind uh, when your service has been completed. I'm going to ask each one of you to give me a sense of uh, what it is that you would like to have left as your legacy. We begin with you, Mr. Folmsby. Well, this is that's really a, a great opportunity to talk about that, uh, so thank you uh, for that uh, question. You, you know, I think the key element uh, and concern I have for Mali uh, is the the divide where the Niger River runs across the country, everybody to the north has never really been connected to everyone to the south. And so you have this cycle of conflict that's been going on for 50 years, and, and probably much longer, actually. And so I think the opportunity for all of us in the diplomatic community and the government is to help connect that. 
and, and, and that's going to be through education and other areas as well as in security. And so I, I hope that's the legacy that uh, someone like myself and, and our whole team can leave behind is making that connection. That's going to make a big difference that will help stabilize that country. So that's what I'm, I'm going to do if, if confirmed. Thank you, sir. Ms. Fee. Thank you, Ranking Member Markey, for your support. You know, if I were to be confirmed, I would be the second U.S. ambassador to the Republic of South Sudan. So that raises a question. Who wants to be second, right? Generally speaking, second is not a positive space. But in this instance, I think second is very important and very special because I would symbolize U.S. commitment to the people of South Sudan. Um, we are there in the tough times as well as the more fun times as was experienced in 2011 when the new state was established. And so, more, moreover, I would also follow, I think, in the footsteps of so many Americans, students, church groups, activists, um, members of Congress, members of so many administrations who've cared for so long uh, for the people of South Sudan and all the suffering they have experienced. So I would be proud to stand second behind all those folks uh, and represent U.S. commitment uh, to helping get this right. Thank you. Ms. Butts. Thank you, Thank you Ranking Member Markey. Uh, I, there's, there's so much that I want to do. If, if, I, if I had to boil it down, I, I would say um, just overall strengthening the bipartisan, the bi bilateral relationship, uh, furthering social and economic justice in the country, uh, certainly uh, building on uh, and enforcing and, and supporting uh, human rights for, uh, for all the people of uh, the Bahamas and, uh, and just more within the mission within, uh, within POST, uh, strengthening management, improving morale, uh, it's showing that, um, that the, the, the people who work at, at POST are are valued and, and all of their efforts are appreciated. So I see really I hope that my legacy is both inside uh, appreciating the people who work at POST and outside reflecting the best of U.S. values and the best that we have to offer in America. Ms. Tanani. Um, thank you, Senator Markey. And I think I have a small advantage here in that unlike my, my colleague uh, nominated for South Sudan, I will be the first in some time. And, and, uh, and therefore, I have uh, that's that, that advantage in this sense. But, um, you know, the, the step of deciding to, to nominate someone to serve as ambassador uh, to Somalia represented the progress that was the um, result of a lot of hard work that many people, including many of my colleagues in the U.S. government, put in over the last few years. And so, in a sense, my nomination was, uh, uh, is, a, is a tribute to the, the efforts that, that they made. And similarly, I would hope that the efforts that I and my team make will take us to that next step, the step of establishing a permanent diplomatic presence uh, in Mogadishu. And I think uh, that step uh, will be important in itself, but it'll be even more important because it will be a sign that so many things have continued to move in a favorable direction and that Somalia is getting closer and closer to being the kind of peaceful, secure, unified, stable uh, place that we'd all like to see it become. Thank you. Well, you're an extraordinary group, and uh, we thank you for your willingness to serve our country. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, I want to note the presence of the Deputy uh, Chief of Mission, uh, Chet Nemore, from the Bahamas here. 
And I uh, want to thank all of you for your testimony and for being here. And uh, thank you for your, your service and hearing your, your, your remarks and looking at your resumes. It's uh, apparent that you've uh, all been at this a while. And, uh, and I know that uh, you know, sometimes our diplomatic efforts are, are overlooked by the general populace. You, you aren't given the opportunity to board an airplane first or, or things like that sometimes that another branch of our government uh, <laughs> seems to, to get noticed for. But uh, I want you to know that, uh, that we here appreciate what you do. And uh, we are grateful for your, your sacrifice and for the sacrifice of your families and the, the risks. We know that the, the risks out there that you expose yourselves to as well and they're not insignificant, and so particularly uh, with many of these assignments. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for being here. Uh, the, uh, for the information of members, the record will remain open until the close of business on Friday, March 27th. And uh, this will include time for members to submit questions for the record. We would ask you to respond to these questions uh, quickly. Your responses will be made part of the record as well. And with the thanks to the committee, this uh, hearing is now adjourned.